0: I'm Amy. And
1: I'm Nathan. And this is Amy and Nathan Do a Podcast.
0: A limited series podcast where we'll explain how you can meaningfully engage in local and state politics. On this episode, Nathan and I go into detail about why it's important to donate directly to local candidates' campaigns and also why it's important to volunteer. However, when we were recording it, we forgot one vital piece of information, and that is how. To donate and how to volunteer. Like we discussed in the episode about researching candidates, you can see if the candidate has a website. They will usually have a form to fill out to volunteer on the website as well as a link to donate. And if they don't have a website for more like the lower down the ballot municipality races like school boards or county commissions, they will nine times out of ten have a Facebook page where you can go and message the page and ask about volunteering volunteering, or donating options. Without further ado, here is the episode. On today's episode, Nathan and I are going to be talking about local and state campaigning, how you should volunteer or just different volunteer positions, and also why it's important to donate directly to the local and state campaigns instead of to the National Democratic Party or the National Republican Party. Because the money you donate locally goes a lot farther. And trickle-down economics, as we're finding out, doesn't exactly work. And it definitely doesn't work when it comes to local and state races.
1: Yeah, Ronald Reagan.
0: <laughs> Nathan, if you're donating to a local campaign, what sort of things... I mean, we, obviously we know they're buying like yard signs and bumper stickers and postcards. But how much do those things usually run? Know yeah, more about so that side than I do.
1: Kind of a good rule of thumb on that stuff is when you think about all the swag, if you will, that campaigns give out, or they'll try to get you to donate for if you can. A bumper sticker is about a dollar, you know, and all this varies on the quantity and quality you're getting. A lot of local candidates tend to purchase these things from local vendors, too. Keeping that in mind, it's also keeping the money in a community but a bumper sticker is about a dollar. A yard sign costs about five bucks for the normal sized ones that are rectangle. And some of those really large signs you'll see are upwards of 45 to 70 bucks. And then really big ones, like back in 2018, Phil Bredesen's campaign had four foot by eight foot ones. And I noticed that some of the Senate candidates last time did and those things are like 125 to 150 bucks a piece. So things can get a little pricey just in the physical merchandise that campaigns are getting uh, out there to push their name.
0: One of the things that from my time volunteering on two campaigns this last election cycle in 2020, I did a lot of phone banking and text banking, and those were tools that the campaign they purchased or they paid like a fee to use. So those are can get pretty expensive too on a yeah, local level.
1: They're, they're campaign specific. Like for example, when you're doing those texting or phone banking, volunteer times for campaigns, on those, they first have to have access to a data set. And for Democrats, that's called uh, vote builder. And for Republicans, I believe it's called Nation Builder. I'm drawing a blank. I just went blank. I think that's what they call. It. I've never seen the user interface for it, but I imagine it's a similar tool. And it has the uh, voter demographic information. uh so, you know when they were registered to vote, etc. And there are, some, there are some tools that are built in there on, like, guessing their propensity to, to vote or how likely they are a college graduate, you name it, just tons of demographic information. And so campaigns, they will use some filled terms here, they cut lists uh, for canvassing and canvassing is phone text or knocking on doors. And so they'll cut those lists, and you you buy access for your particular campaign. From for here in Tennessee, you get it from the TNDP, the Tennessee Democratic Party, and then this information is all coming from the Tennessee Secretary of State, is where when you're updating voter registration and stuff. That's what populates the back end of this. This is like a little down in the weeds, but. Yeah. Some folks um, kind of wonder, you know, how do you get a hold of me? Where does this come from? How do you know who I am? This is all publicly uh well, they pay for this, but a lot of your information is publicly available information. And some of the things that aren't publicly available that they're actually paying for access for, that's what impacts whether or not they reach out to you is how you voted. Now, I don't mean like which candidates you voted for, but it's on record when you pull a primary, because we're an open primary state. So we know if you voted in a Republican or a Democratic primary. We don't know who you voted for, uh, again, but we know which primary you voted in. And and again, Nathan, that that
0: comes from the, in Tennessee, the secretary of state's office
1: correct that's very important because people get their feathers really ruffled when they get called and I'm like this information's readily available to any any political campaign and to some degree you could walk into your local election commission office and and pay them the money and get a thumb drive, not of all the information in Vote Builder, let's be clear, but you can go buy a list as long you have to sign off that you're not going to use it for marketing purposes, but you can buy a list of all the registered voters in a particular district, whether you want it to be like city council or you name it.
0: Well, that's a interesting, dirty little secret rabbit hole we've dropped down to. But that's well, some good information. It.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just part of it.
0: But, but again, the reason you donate directly to the local candidates is then they can They can get
1: access to this info list, so that they, that they can, can get in touch yeah. with you.
0: They can get in touch with you. They can also then you know print out swag with their name on it. And also when you donate to the national party, because that did come up in one of the phone calls where I connected with a constituent who was a Democrat who didn't want to donate to the state candidate because he- they had already donated to the democratic national party. And well, if this person's good enough to win, then the, the national party will just give them some money. And it doesn't,
1: that is not true. Like that. Not in Tennessee. The national party not is
0: focused. Sorry. National no, party. Not in Tennessee. Focused, I didn't
1: mean to cut you off. It's no, just it's okay. like, not in Tennessee. No <laughs> one cares about Tennessee.
0: Yeah. The democratic I, national party over- is not spending any money in Tennessee. Well, I shouldn't say they're not spending any money, but, unless they think a race is winnable at a, and it's usually they only spend money on the federal races, sometimes governorships as well, but the national democratic party and the national Republican party keep their funds for federal level candidates, sometimes gubernatorial candidates, but often a lot of money towards like just maintaining their organization and main, running the presidential campaign.
1: And to be clear, folks who are listening no money is going to come in nationally in the 2022 race into Tennessee because governor is as high as we go. Well, I mean, people obviously every two year the the congressional races, but no, no money is coming in for the gubernatorial or the congressional when we're so R plus here.
0: Um, which is why you need to donate to your local candidates because that's it. That's where their funds are coming from. It's critical.
1: And in many of these local races, and I think folks have some assumption that there's mystery money out there, or if you're familiar with yeah. it, local action committees are special interest groups. When you hear that term, special interest group, those are PACs. It's people with, or I'm sorry, it's business entities, which is what PACs are, with an agenda who are donating money to candidates to further that particular agenda, which is- An example of this is you can see how, like FedEx, over every legislative cycle, but you know, they got a, uh, there was this aircraft jet fuel tax relief program that the Tennessee legislature passed, and it benefited exactly one company FedEx. If you donate enough money and your business or your PAC arm donates enough money, you can get special laws. And again, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but this is one of the reasons why donating to local candidates is so important because outside of PAC money for some candidates, most races, and let me be clear, most Democrats running really have to lean heavily into individual donors because there are just not enough democratic leaning packs. And especially if you haven't been elected, if this is your first time running And you have no voting record for them to look at to see how well you do or don't support their agenda, it's really hard to get pack money from them because they don't know if you're going to support what they were built to do. Yes. So individual donors are important, and those individual donor donations support those tools and that merchandise, the swag, because a real big thing going back to local candidates is. They just don't have enough bandwidth to get known. And that's what, if you look at a political campaign as a lean startup with a known drop dead time, that's the election, and you look at everything in between, it is just one big marketing campaign, folks. That's what, that's what a, political race is. It's just one big marketing campaign trying to sell you something and that something is the person's name on the sign. They win or lose or get more known and their reach increases by you donating and- Volunteering. Talking about them. Yeah, and volunteering. Which- um, is still perpetuating the volunteer. Or should they?
0: Well, um, going back to the volunteering... Like some people, again, you're listening to this podcast, it's, we're trying to help you get your feet wet. So this was the first year that I actually volunteered on campaigns
1: Woohoo! during
0: during a pandemic, probably because it was during a pandemic and it was for democratic candidates. So I knew they wouldn't be requiring us to go canvassing, which I'm not good at meeting strangers, but I am good at talking on the phone or doing the text banking. And those tools that Nathan mentioned that the candidates use, the phone list is already populated. It's usually done on the internet. It's a web-based app. They don't, the people who you're calling or who you're texting, they don't have your phone number. It's not your number. So they can't call you back later and be annoying if they want it to be annoying. But for the most part, it's, it's basically the calling list, the phone one it dials through a lot of numbers for the auto dialers it dials through a number a lot of numbers and it only connects you through the calls where it actually connects to a person picking up the phone and sometimes i had some really lovely conversations with people and part of that i think was because of the pandemic so people were just especially older folks just it was nice to have somebody to talk to for a little bit and listen to them it's a way to get to know people in your area and and yes there were some uh real winners on the text bot replies, or I shouldn't want say text bot, text banking, cause it's not a bot. It is an actual person sending the text messages and interacting with you. But we had uh, us, uh, campaign volunteers had, shall we say a hall of shame for some of the rude people or the rude yeah, responses.
1: We all talk about our crazy, crazy interactions at the end of the day. They're like text threads or, you know, uh, yeah twitter groups were like oh man i got a doozy today
0: so there's there's a lot of support and it's it's usually a smaller percentage of the responses and when you're getting the text messages and you don't want to get them just reply stop s-t-o-p boom you're done you don't have to try to be clever or think you're being clever when you're just entering the hall of shame
1: it is so much easier on us just to reply stop you know, and to your point of you were mentioning those different modalities of reaching yeah. out to voters. And so from a different angle, if you've used any of these programs before, some of the names might stand out. And if you haven't, you might see them in the upcoming cycle. So when uh, Amy was talking about the that auto dialer, the phone mm-hmm. program, that's called Through Talk. One of the campaigns I worked with used it. And like to give you an idea what this is like, like we pull a big Excel spreadsheet of name, well, the contact information, and it's integrated back into that vote builder we mentioned, which is the big master database. So we can track and log when you were called, et cetera, responses to surveys. So we dump that into through talk, and then it goes through. And so Amy's sitting here, for example, making these phone calls, and it just queues it up and she makes a call and sometimes they're back to back like you hang up one another one comes through sometimes you might have to wait a minute even if it was a small list or there were a lot of bad numbers mm-hmm. but what you are waiting for if you're the person sitting there are doing these volunteer calls is this auto dialer because you're the FCC requires that it be a human it dials it. You, you're you speaking to them. This is not a robocall. And it goes through all of these disconnected numbers, voicemails, right. answering machines, that's still a thing, et cetera. And so it only is connecting you as the volunteer to a live person. And then you get to go through your script that's built into this system. And Amy can probably attest to the fact that it's really easy. It's just point and click. You're signed in on your laptop or or tablet or whatever you're using. And it's just, you're just pushing the buttons along the way. For the texting programs, there were several different ones that, and there's another way you can do phone calls too. You can call directly through Vote Builder, but you have to manually dial for that. And I, Always recommend to folks, and if you have only one takeaway from today, grab your pen or your Note app on your phone and jot this down. You absolutely should get yourself a Google Voice number so that if you are making volunteer phone calls for a campaign and you're having to do it the air-quoting old-school way of manually dialing the numbers that you're not dialing them from your personal cell phone. And that way that can make you more comfortable to not share any of your personally identifiable information. And because that's often, it probably was something that concerned you, it's something that always concerns volunteers. And the old school way is still built in, you know, you're still going down a script, you're still plugging in answers.
0: But you are being connected, like if they have a voicemail set up or an answering machine, you are being connected to the machine. And some campaigns are, for the most part, most campaigns don't want you to leave a message because it's not typically a good response back. But other campaigns are like, no, 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 we'll have like a short a short thing and just leave a message just because that's even worse is that somebody hangs up when you see it's a local number. And I'm like, okay, whatever And the you rational- want me to
1: do, I'll do it. You know, a previous, the pandemic changed a bunch of things. The rationale had always been that you didn't leave a message that, and the, or rather the rationale behind that was that for those of you familiar with marketing terminology, unless you directly interact with a person it's not considered a touch and it takes seven touches for a conversion or to get them to vote and leaving a voicemail doesn't tend to count as a real interaction with a campaign or an individual. So a lot of uh, campaigns simply due to just a lack of volunteers didn't want to waste time with you going through leaving a voicemail because that's time you could be calling people who might actually interact with you. However, during the pandemic, we were encouraging voicemails to be left. That way, some folks might call back and uh, but at least we were we were kind of it didn't even count as a touch, technically, but we were still doing it anyway. You know that, w- that was a thing. And in normal political years pre-pandemic, you'd get about a 10 percent answer rate on phone banking. And last year it was like, tw- we were getting like 20, 25% because folks are just stuck at home and bored yep. or desperate for human interaction. And so you would actually have people picking up the phone where they probably never had answered calls, or at least once you connect and told them what you were doing, that they engaged you in a conversation when normally yep. that I might've been no thanks or just hung up on you. Was, yes. Did you have some of that experience?
0: I, well, like, again, cause As you said, some of the lists were curated, but I noticed with older, older people just like to talk in general, but I did notice there were a lot more people that were interested in talking. And even if I caught, let's say a parent that was trying to wrangle their kids, they were still interested in the candidate, but they're like, you know what? I got to go wrangle my kids. What, what's the website? I'll check them out. Thank you for calling. I did not know that there was a Democrat running in this race because that's another thing. Uh, There's just in Tennessee. There's historically been a lot of uncontested Republican-led races. Just getting the word out like that through the volunteers is helpful. And speaking of the before times, canvassing is another way. Even before we get to that, oh, Nathan has another before we get to canvassing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry, let me mention text banking. Yeah, because I didn't dive down into that. One of the major programs that uh, Democrats use is called Hustle. Hustle has a really slick user interface, at least on our back end, and for volunteers using it on their computer as well. It's a little more expensive for campaigns to use. But there's also, there's another program that became really popular this last cycle, and a couple of PACs really used it. And I actually, the Biden campaign used it as well, I was told, and it's called uh, Spoke. We used it quite a lot because the price in Tennessee for a campaign to use Hustle is 20 cents per contact. But in that 20 cents, you're paying to be able to engage them over and over and over. Now, a lot of times you'll get the first text goes out to someone and they're like, stop, or some expletive written reply. Mm -hmm. And then you just opt them Mm -hmm. out. But with Spoke, it is three quarters of a cent. I think that's right for a text. So it's really cheap. And sometimes campaigns just decide, have to decide how much interaction they're really gonna have with voters to see which way is cheaper. Like if they're only gonna do like some kind of get out the vote push, then it might be cheaper to spoke. And that would be how you would interact with it. And some of the ways when you're volunteering that you're gonna text, you're either gonna be, there are certain cycles of a campaign And so there's like the candidate ID section, that's first, and candidate ID identification. That means you're letting people know, hey, you know, XYZ candidates running, have you heard of them? If you get a text like that, you know the candidate is in voter ID phase. And that's when they're just trying to gauge interest, let you know that they're there, trying to drum up more volunteers and money. And then when you get really close to the election, be it the primary or the general, that's when they go into... G-O-T-V, or get out the vote. During get out the vote, they may be like, hey, there's a race for county commissioner. Will you vote for XYZ candidate? That would be a a G-O-T-V phone call or a text that you'd be getting. So that way they're seeing does this person plan to vote at all? And then you can be like, hey, vote for my candidate. And so that's something I just wanted to throw that out there on texting. There are different programs. So if you're volunteering for Democratic candidates, you may experience that you're going to use slightly different tools. And the different tools you're going to use are going to vary depending upon the budget and the size of the campaign. Like if you're volunteering for a city council candidate, don't expect these big slick programs because they simply can't afford them. It would be cost prohibitive for them to try to use them, and so back to your back to you punting it to me, canvassing, canvassing. as yes. we call it, or door knocking,
0: which I've not done, but you have.
1: Yes. So under underfilled, which is where uh, the filled operation, which is where all this falls, uh, door knocking or canvassing seems frightening, and it, it's the thing that converting volunteers to go knock on a door is is kind of hard. Like we tend to incentivize it with like, Hey, you know, join at 5 PM. We'll we'll have free pizza and drinks, and then we'll go out and knock doors for an hour or two. And you kind of have to incentivize the newbies because they're mortified. Everyone thinks, especially here in East Tennessee, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to knock on a door. Someone's going to pull a gun. I'm going to get yelled at. I mean, etc. I've knocked thousands of doors and I have been yelled at twice. And it was from like-minded people. They thought that um, we were actually canvassing them as uh, the opponent. And then when they realized that we were for their team, uh, as it were, they're like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, come back. So it tends to not be bad. Most people, because keep in mind, you know how we we've come to Conflate interactions on social media with some kind of equivalency as to how they would be in real life. And, you know, despite someone yelling whatever derogatory terms at you on social media, when you show up on people's door, especially around here anyway, people it may be firm, but still yet polite. And people just be like, no thanks, not interested, or tell you to leave. You could get yelled at. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but in real life, people tend to not be nearly as ugly as their online persona. And so, canvassing, you know, if you're if you're phone banking, you know, if you're tearing it up, you might you might be able to squeeze in twenty calls in an hour. You know, if you're text banking, especially when you're sending out your initial text, you can fly through a couple of thousand, sending them all out. Well, then getting respond, then responding to them takes a bit longer. But door knocking, you know, again, here in East Tennessee, where sometimes it's a mile between driveways out in the county, you might you might spend two hours yeah. canvassing and hit three or four people. That's all important. Now, if you're going into a dense neighborhood or like an apartment complex, you can probably get a lot more. And here's a critical point to remember. Oftentimes, you'll have people, even HOAs, will tell you, or someone might try to say, "Well, our HOA doesn't allow solicitation, or our apartment complex doesn't allow solicitation." It has been ruled that canvassing for politics is not solicitation; it is part of freedom of speech. You know, if if you're feeling froggy, you can you before you go out, you can ask your the campaign you're working with if they can supply you that information, like the. Specific code or whatever, but you you can tell people you know no, actually this is this is perfectly legal despite your HOA. And as a matter of fact, if your HOA says you can't put a yard sign up in your yard, that was also proven to not hold up in court either. You can put a yard sign in your yard. But anyway, I, I digress. That canvassing no, a little slower.
0: Good info to know. The HOAs it don't is. have as much power as they think they do.
1: Enough cannot be said about the importance of door knocking. Standing face-to-face with someone, I know we're a little different now on the pandemic and we'll have to see how this shakes out for 2022, but standing on someone's doorstep and taking up space and time of theirs to chat about a candidate, if but quickly, is so important because they're able to connect a human being to that campaign. This Remember how I mentioned that a campaign is just a big marketing campaign? It's It's back to that personalizing the brand and the brand being the candidate so standing there and it's brief too like i don't know folks tend to think they're going to be standing there for 10 minutes with someone i mean that could happen if you're having a really good conversation but most interactions are going to be like knock 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 hello hi i'm nathan with xyz candidate who's running for school board have you heard of them yes no maybe or they might go straight to get off my lawn. And then if they say yes or no, you can like, oh, you know, so-and-so is running for school board because they like education. And they're like, oh, I like education. Do you have any information? And then you hand them the door knocker and usually like, okay, thanks. I'll look into them a little bit more. Yeah. Usually an interaction is 30 seconds max. So don't let that scare you either. These are really quick. It's not like you're coming in to have tea with them and share your life story. Although some people will try to do that with you. So I didn't mean to belabor all that, but I wanted yeah. to paint a really clear picture yeah. of yeah. what- Yeah, it's not,
0: it's not it's as scary fine. as you might think it is.
1: It, it will be scary. Let's be really yeah. clear. The first yeah, few okay, times yeah. you do it- Yeah. And I'm going I'm to be super honest and I'll level with all of you. Every single time I go out, I'm always nervous the first door I knock on. No, I mean, is it debilitating? No, but I'm always nervous at the first door. Once I get the first one out of the way, rock and roll and let's just do it all day long, knocking doors. But the first one scares me. And it really is. It does scare me every single time. But you just got to do it and get it out of the way. And I used to tell people, no one's going to yell at you. And I took this one gal training her to door knock. And the first door she knocked on her, own, the person yelled her off the porch. And I was like, that normally doesn't happen. And she's looking at me like, you're crazy. But it normally doesn't happen, folks, I promise. And you you might get the bad luck of the draw, but don't let it scare you. And if you get your first yelling, it's probably not going to happen again the rest of the day. So there's that. And thanks for letting me uh, like dive into that. I didn't mean yeah. to take a all your time on canvassing with that, Amy. But I was like, I just think it's so important that people really get it. Hey, free pizza. Hey, and beer oftentimes. I mean, we know our audience.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of yelling after this brief musical interlude, it will be time for the rant.
1: Rant time. (laughs) is my favorite time.
0: So in the first episode we did, we briefly mentioned in our rant section, focused really on the slate of hate legislation, but then we started talking about the unemployment benefit cuts and this right to work BS in Tennessee. Well, carrying on on that, there's a lot of rhetoric coming from the right about these lazy people that just don't want to get back to work, so let's cut unemployment benefits. Meanwhile, it's not just like the low-wage retail or restaurant businesses that are having a hard time hiring back people. Denso, it's a very large employer here. They're having a hard time fully staffing too. I mean, to put and- it in perspective, they're an auto manufacturing, auto parts manufacturer, and they have at least over, they have first, second, and third shifts. They have at least over 2000 employees already. It probably is the largest employer here in Blunt County. I think it finally topped Archon, which used to be Alcoa. And they can't, they're having a hard time hiring and keeping people. Jay, I wonder why that is.
1: Well, could it have anything to do with the timing of their shifts? Could it have anything to do with childcare?
0: Oh, no, no, no. It couldn't possibly have anything to do with the fact that First shift would start at 7 to 3.30 and there's no daycare that's typically open for you to drop off your kid at 6.30 in the morning. And then second and shift is what, 11 to 7 or 12 to 8? And then even and then daycare on top costs of that, are
1: astronomical. Right. Why would you spend all month working to spend as much or nearly as much as you made all month to pay for daycare costs? When you could spend time with your kid, what's the incentive? So when there are gaps that people continually talk about, there are so many unfilled jobs. Well, Why? Why? Is it because workers aren't having their needs met? Is it because you're not paying them well? Toxic workplaces? Not innovating to consider allowing uh, people to bring their kids to work? Providing childcare at your business? Especially when you're a major corporation, and this can be built in under your greater corporate umbrella. It's 2021. Makes me tend to think when companies are having trouble hiring people that it isn't disinterested workers. It's that workers have woken up and are unwilling to accept what they used to out of a job. Yeah, when work life balance is important.
0: Work life balance, and also during the pandemic when maybe people were laid off let let's say you had a two parent household both parents were working let's i'm going to say the father was working full time the mother might have been working at restaurant or other retail thing because of the flexible scheduling to be able to coordinate with childcare well when everything shut down and then they realized they can get by on that one income and the mother doesn't have to work the shitty job and maybe even be saving money.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And you've cut out the abuse that you might find at the workplace. And you're staying home and your kids are happier. Your whole family might be, well, <laughs> depending on how, how much quarantine time you had to stay together, you might have been driving each other nuts too. Let's be realistic. But you might have found, hey, we can get by on one income. Or because of things being shut down and needing to find another job. That person had the time and then the ability to find something a little bit more stable with a steady steady schedule, better benefits, maybe slightly better pay. And then they don't need that old crappy job that they left that they still can't fill because, as Nathan said, maybe workers woke up and realized they don't have to take this stuff anymore.
1: And the number of people who've left the workforce to go back to school, be it trade programs, community college, four-year universities, pursuing a graduate degree—you name it—people didn't just leave the workforce to go set at home. And at now, since Tennessee stopped taking the federal extra unemployment, the federal unemployment extra money, it's not like anyone's getting rich setting at home. And you know, it's just. People want better. And
0: and if you think people were getting rich now, I think we discussed this earlier, a previous episode, unemployment for non-contracted, non-self-employed people, the max was $275 a week and they take 10% off of that for income tax. So a little bit under $250 a week. If you think people are getting rich off of less than $250 a week, then what the hell are you paying them to begin
1: with? And to keep in mind expenses, a one-bedroom apartment in our county, the average cost is $670 a month. Then when you add utilities in, that would be what someone on unemployment was making. And if you were a single-person family, you also don't get to pay any bills or eat. You just paid your rent on your mediocre one-bedroom apartment and your electricity. So I hope you enjoy eating nothing. And that's what you were doing with that unemployment money without the bonus.
0: So again, for the most part, 99% of people aren't lazy. They've just decided they're not going to put up with the crap anymore, or they found something better. They finally know their worth, to use a Marvel quote.
1: It is true. People are moving on, and jobs that aren't being filled tend to not be filled because the companies themselves are not meeting the needs of the workforce
0: as simple as that so thank thanks for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time on amy and nathan do a podcast peace